This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. I have a question for all of you. How often do you see professional athletes competing when they're past the age of 40? And if you look at some of the headlining athletes who pushed past the the typical retirement age of, say, the late 20s to early 30s, you would see that few go beyond the age of 40 and even rarer, the 50-year-old athlete. Uh, And my question today for my guest is, what does this have to do with our muscle mass? And what does it matter to all of us, especially as we grow older, regardless of whether we're professional athletes or not? And my guest is Dr. Rajesh Singh, consultant, orthopedic surgeon. Dr. Rajesh, thanks so much for joining me. How are you? Uh, very well. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. So a refresher, and I know we've covered this on several shows, but worth um, setting that baseline again. How does the body build muscles? What are the biological processes involved? Okay, so let's start with the fully formed adult, because children are a slightly different topic. Right? And when I say fully formed adult skeletally, I mean probably um, at or past the age of about 15 years of age. That's generally when, um, in my practice, I would consider the skeletal system um, mature. So muscles are basically the contractile unit of the skeletal system. So, you know, when talking about this for medical students, we talk about the topic of um, cells, tissues, and then we talk about organ systems. And the organ system that we're, or the the tissue sort of group that we're looking at here is the connective tissue. And things that fit in the connective tissue group are things like um, tendon, muscle, fat, um, ligaments, skin, fascia. So these are all sort of members of the connective tissue group. And in principle, the connective tissue is either sort of specialized or not so specialized. And muscles are specialized type of connective tissue in the sense that it has contractile properties. So the main function of muscle, surprisingly, is to generate heat. Yeah, thermoregulation. So thermoregulation is actually the principal function of muscle. Um, And when I say principal function of muscle, it means that there isn't something else that can substitute for that function in the human body. Mm -hmm. So that's what, if you think about it, if you think about the fact that muscle supposed to regulate the temperature, to help regulate the temperature of the body by increasing the amount of heat that's produced for the body to maintain homeostasis, um, it, it, it's, an, it's an interesting way to look at muscle that most people would not. Absolutely. So how does that tie into the function of muscles in the skeletal system then in terms of our movement? Okay, so muscle has muscle has sort of some unique, what's a unique? It has some defining characteristics. So defining characteristic number one is that it's contractile, pretty clearly. So your liver isn't contractile. That means that you know your liver can't sort of squeeze on itself, um, nor can it sort of move around inside of you. Um, but muscle fibers are contractile, so that's property number one. Property number two is that they are relatively elastic as a tissue. So they have a property called viscoelasticity. That means that they behave a little bit like fluids and a little bit like solids. And the best sort of analogy I can think of is rubber. So if you had sort of a piece of rubber and you stretch that piece of rubber out, the rubber will pull back for you. And that sort of, that, in, in an essence, that's basically what muscle is. 
uh, in terms of how I handle it on a day-to-day basis in terms of the mechanical characteristics of muscle. Um, one of the interesting sort of things about muscle as a tissue is that it can only shorten by 30% of its length. So that's quite interesting. That's quite an interesting number to bear in mind when you're looking at stretching exercises. So a lot of a lot of you know when you talk about muscle, everybody talks about stretching exercises, and there seems to be this idea that there's no limit to which you can stretch um, skeletal elements, which is maybe not untrue for static elements. So if you think about things like ligaments, tendons, you can probably stretch those quite a lot. When you think about muscle per se, a muscle is actually not that stretchy. It has an, it has an sort of innate length, and it really can't go beyond that innate length. Beyond that innate length, then it just tears, as it were. So muscle is organized in terms of cell type. That means whether it's type 1 or type 2 fibers within the muscle. It's organized according to shape of muscle. So we talk about um, square muscles, uh, triangular muscles, uh, multipendent muscles, that means muscles that have many heads. And these sort of specializations um, help the muscles subserve their function given the limitation that they have, which is 30 degrees of shortening, or 30% shortening. So you'll find that when muscles are placed, they're placed across joints to create a movement. And the joints and sort of bones are the levers upon which the muscles act. So you'd want to think about the muscle the joints across which it acts, the nerve supply to the muscle, and the vascular supply to the muscle. And I think that these are sort of probably the the main criteria that I would look at as a practicing orthopedic surgeon when considering muscle, its function and dysfunction. What about muscle mass, which I mentioned when I started earlier? How, how, How do you look at that? How much muscle mass a person has? How does it continue to grow as we get older? Or lose, okay. yeah. Okay, so this this is sort of an interesting the the way you have asked the question suggests that there is a universal sort of number. But when I see patients every day, I see lots of different types of patients. And the, the analogy I like to give is on the lorry there's kanchil and there's cement lorry. Some people are built like kanchil, some people are built like cement lorry. Yeah. So there's no point complaining that, you know. I'm a bulky cement lorry. Well, you're a cement lorry. That's how big cement lorries are. So in general, when I look at somebody's muscle bulk when they sit in front of me, the first question I'm asking asking myself is, is this muscle bulk appropriate for this frame? And I I see some very interesting variations. So I saw a chap recently who is about in his early 30s. He's about 75 kilos. And... I would say of that 75 kilos, probably 35 kilos is muscle. So he's just got too much muscle for his build, his genetic potential, and he's damaging his joints. So he's coming to me at 30s in his 30s with early joint damage for joints which shouldn't be damaged. And the reason is because he's put in so much effort to bulk up that his joints are not able to support the muscles that he has built. Which is you know kind of interesting that if you think about it, the fact that you can actually build more muscle than your skeleton is designed to support hmm. and injure yourself. And you know, on the other side, I had this lady who was sitting in this chair exactly yesterday, and she's 46 kilos, 
Um, she's about your height, if not slightly shorter. And she's coming in with many muscle injuries because she does a lot of, you know, um, hits and a lot of resistance training. So, in, you know, the conversations there was, you know, people are built, so I, I like to take the analogy of animals. You know, you have oxen and you have uh, pigeons. You know, oxen pull plows, pigeons don't. And there's a reason why oxen pull plows and pigeons don't, because a pigeon's not made to pull a plow, an ox is. But in modern society, this whole sort of, you know, exercise, gym, fitness lifestyle, well, it's not necessarily bad. I think it doesn't pay respect to some of those basic principles. The fact that everyone has a different body shape, everyone has a different innate muscle mass, everyone has a different innate capacity for work, um, and everyone has an innate exercise capacity. And so to sort of to, to build it or to maintain it, you really need to look at where this person is coming from and where is it that they're going in relation to what capacity they have. So that's one of the things I think that, you know, if I could get one, if one of the messages I could get out from this um, talk, it would really be assess your own baseline because everyone's baseline's different. Everyone's body shape's different. Everyone has a slightly different skeletal system. Everyone has slightly different capacity for work. Everyone has slightly different capacity for exercise. Everyone has, you know, everybody's different. And I think that sort of this sense that I have about people who are in the fitness industry who don't necessarily pay heed to that, um, it causes people a lot of injury. All right, don't go anywhere. We will continue this conversation when we come back from the break. Dr. Rajesh Singh, consultant, orthopedic surgeon, and we are discussing muscle mass. And we haven't gotten to, um, I guess, the other part of the conversation is um, how do we lose muscle mass as we get older and what will the role of exercise be um, as we get to that point in life. But stay tuned to that on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. My guest joining me on Zoom today, Dr. Rajesh Singh, consultant, orthopedic surgeon. I started the show by bringing up the fact that we don't really see professional athletes competing when they're past the age of 40. And I was wondering how much does that have to do with our muscle mass? So the earlier part of the conversation has been discussing, um, well, you know, as the kids today say, I was today years old when I learned that the primary function of muscles is to generate heat. Uh, <laughs> but fantastic. I have not heard that before. I'll use it. That's right. Um, but also understanding um, that we individually have our own sort of baseline um, innate muscle mass, innate exercise capacity, uh, and understanding uh, what our individual baseline is, is important because you don't want to be jumping into... Um, you know, sort of muscle building exercises that go beyond that capacity. But Dr. Rajesh, then that begs the question, how do I know what my baseline would be? Okay, interesting question. Um, a simple way to look at it, if you've ever been physically active, is, you know, what level of activity did I have before? So what could I do? And I think this dovetails into your question regarding muscle maintenance and athleticism. Now, 
uh, muscles grow in response. So muscle cells are kind of unique because if you if you take the concept of a cell in general, a cell in general is one nucleus, um, and then around the nucleus there's some cytoplasm and other sort of organelles that support that nucleus, and after that you have um, a sort of a, a group of cells that sort of subserve a single function. With muscle, it's actually each cell is a multinucleated behemoth of a cell. So it can have, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 nuclei, which are supporting that sort of one cell. So there, there are very few cells in the body that have multiple nuclei, and muscle is one of those that has multiple nuclei. Now, the concept there is that as you exercise the muscle appropriately in response to the correct amount of stress, the correct nutrition, the correct hormonal status, those number of nuclei multiply and the cellular elements around those nuclei also multiply. So the skeletal system is the only one where, you know, you can increase its size basically, you know, two, three, four, five times. Because you see those guys sort of bulk up for competition, you know, they may be, I don't know, 100, 120 kilos at competition and then 50 kilos out. You know, where did that sort of mass go? And that's basically just the capacity of the system to sort of for redundancy and to be able to build. Now, what happens is that as um, people age, well, let's, let's look at this. What are the factors that help muscle grow? The first thing is testosterone. There's very strong hormonal influence for the muscle to grow with the testosterone hormone. The second is growth hormone. Um, the third is vascularity. So you can't grow tissue without blood supply. And one of the things that happens with age is the ability to grow new blood vessels gets less. The ability to maintain the blood vessels that you had in sort of a vascular network becomes less. And that's basically the basis for a lot of conditions. So if you look at um, spider veins, right? So people complain about having spider veins on their legs in particular, sometimes on their hands as they get older. The skin undergoes the same phenomenon, which is the blood supply gets a little bit less to the top layer of the skin. And in order for there to be more blood supply, what the blood does is it actually induces new blood vessels. So and those blood vessels in the skin, for some people, they find them unsightly. They say, look, these are spider veins. The same process actually happens in all tissues, which are relatively somewhat avascular. So that exact same spider vein story happens on the surface of tendons as well. Now, before microendoscopy, before we could actually sort of look into the lining of tendons um, with an endoscope, we didn't know this. But from my practice, I can tell you that I see the same vascular pattern on the surface of tendons in people who have sort of some vascular insufficiency in the same way that I would see spider veins on their skin. So the process is the same. And in muscle, muscles are relatively very, very, very vascular organ. If you think about how much, well, what the function of the muscle is, which is to contract, it needs lots of oxygen, it needs lots of blood supply, it needs um, nutrients to come in, it needs nutrients to go out, it needs lots of energy, it has to take the heat away from its generator to where it goes. So Muscles, the, the sort of the architecture of muscle 
we know is maintained actually by um, what they call satellite cells, but they're like a type of stem cell. So about 5 to 10% of the population of a muscle, let's take you know, a bicep, you know, if people know what a bicep is. Let's take the bicep muscle as an anatomic structure. Now, the bicep muscle has a nerve supply. It has um, a blood supply. And within the format of the biceps muscle, i.e. you can't sort of, the biceps muscle can't share the cell with the brachialis or the triceps, there are cells whose job it is to repair damaged muscle fibers. And the way they repair damaged muscle fiber is they remove the old muscle fiber and then they basically, a few of these uh, stem cells will fuse together to form a new multinucleated giant muscle cell. Right, which is, and this sort of mechanism is interesting to know because on a basic science level, we're just starting to understand how muscle maintains. Mm-hmm. You know, a fairly a fairly innocuous, um, simple question that you've asked, but the answer is actually pretty complex. And the answer, as far as we know, is that there's a population of cells. A population of cells lives on the periphery of the muscle, not in the body of the muscle, and this population of cells basically migrates to a place where the muscle has been damaged or with a signal for new muscles to grow, and it will form a de novo new muscle cell. So you actually get an increase in the cell number. So the question then is, as we get older, what happens? We don't know is the, is the short answer. We actually don't know. We know that there's a mechanism, and that mechanism is consistent with senescence, i.e. the aging process, but and is also consistent with uh, wear tear repair. So that means that if you exercise, it builds. If you're sedentary, it goes away. Okay? So that much we do know. What we don't know is the mechanism where the muscle is lost in different circumstances. For example, in cancer, in AIDS, in HIV, uh, um, in certain medical conditions, people look very wasted or cachexic. That means all the muscles disappear. Okay. Now, we actually don't know why that happens. So we know that there are two mechanisms. We know that there's the normal homeostatic mechanism, which is the one that sort of keeps the system going as it is. And then there's another mechanism which seems to affect tissues on a global level. Because when somebody has cachexia, all their muscle is lost, right? It's not just the muscle of the arm or the muscle of the leg, even the muscles of the face. So sort of they look haggard and shorn and drawn and shallow. Mm. But we don't know what the mechanism is. So I think um, in response to a relatively very um, innocuous question, um, the answer is it's complicated and we don't know fully yet. But... Is it necessarily downhill from here as we get older? Okay, so I think if, if we go if we go to the wear tear repair model, I think the wear tear repair model basically is a homeostatic model. That means that your body will maintain a steady state for what it is genetically programmed to do. And if you sort of are away from that steady state, that means that you necessarily need to be bigger or you, you necessarily want to be smaller, then there are efforts that you have to take to achieve it. So I wouldn't say it's downhill. I would say that um, understanding how 
to achieve a, I would call it a steady state. So that means that with an appropriate amount of exercise, not too much, not too little, where does your muscle mass want to be? And is that muscle mass compatible with social function or is it incompatible with social function? Um, so how do you um, explain, uh, and then return again to the example of professional athletes, um, those who can actually perform um, professionally in their 70s, 80s, I mean, I found some in their 90s as well. Okay. Um, so I think I think when you're talking about the older athlete, there's a few things that we need to consider. Um, and the first is that it's possible to maintain the skeletal system. It just takes a lot more effort. The second thing being that muscles clearly not the only part of the nexus that allows you to sort of perform at a high level. Um, as the athlete gets older, tendons get a little bit stiffer, ligaments get a little bit more brittle, um, joints get a little bit more damaged. So you get sort of a, a machine that works but doesn't work perfectly. So the, it is possible to maintain the fitness of the skeletal system to a high level um, up to an old age. But it does take a lot of effort to be able to do so. There is one caveat to this, um, which is interesting in terms of the, the science of the skeletal system, and that is long-distance runners. So what you'll find is that you'll find most long-distance runners to be um, older than the average athlete, so not sort of uh, not in their 20s, right? Not in their 30s. In fact, even sort of between their 30s and their 40s. And the reason for this is actually uh, astoundingly interesting because it relates both to um, muscle as a tissue as well as the whole organism as a system. So the rate-limiting step for long-distance running is the perfusion of the muscle. So that means how much blood can you get to the muscle? Now, every time the heart pumps, there is a pulse of pressure. And that pulse of pressure is transmitted along the vessels right up to your fingertips. That pulse of pressure is dictated by the stiffness of the artery. So there's a, there's a protein called elastin. Elastin is the thing that sort of makes vessel walls elastic and allows them to accommodate the pressure whenever the heart beats. So what happens when you're younger is that the vessels are very elastic. So that means you get the sort of big peaks and troughs of pressure. What happens as you get older is that that elastin decays just by function of the fact that it's an older rubber band, hmm. right? That, but what happens as a result of that is that the waves actually have a double peak. So instead of having one big peak, you have two smaller peaks. So the mean pressure, meaning that the average pressure that the muscle, the average perfusion pressure, the average amount of pressure of blood going into the muscle is actually higher as you get older as a function of the stiffening blood vessels. And so consequently, the older athletes are able to run longer, long distance than the very young athlete. Mm. Yeah, so the answer to your question about sort of muscle and performance in the age athlete is actually very complicated because it's not just more muscle, more function. It is actually part of that whole sort of um, dynamic system of the whole organism. Um, and that's why I find the sort of example of um, long and middle distance runners being older absolutely fascinating because 
on the surface, it looks like they shouldn't, but clearly they are. And so the mechanisms is then why, and the answer is why, what are the mechanisms? And, you know, the mechanisms have been investigated in terms of the mechanisms of, you know, whether it's due to a change in the vascular bed in the muscle due to age, you know, is it due to a change in cardiac function? At the end, it is found that it's physics in terms of how the pressure wave propagates and what the mean pressure is. Mm-hmm. And so I find that extremely interesting. So if we move away from athletes and look at us sort of mere mortals, then and you earlier mentioned that uh, maintaining that steady state, right? So um, why does that matter if we are not going to be or are athletes anyway? Why does maintaining that state of muscle mass even matter? Okay, because muscle does a lot more than just move. Um, the patient I saw before speaking to you was a 51-year-old diabetic um, Indian Muslim gentleman with a horrific history of heart disease in his family. And he's got a condition of his shoulder, that both shoulders actually, that limits his ability to do exercise. And he needs to exercise in order to be able to reduce his blood pressure and in order to be able to maintain his blood sugar, given the fact that he's on the maximum dose of medications that are already available to him, and he knows what's going to happen to him if he can't maintain his health. Mm. Muscle in itself, um, yes, but, but muscle as part of the whole organism, clearly very important. Because the other thing that muscle does, um, quite interestingly, is muscle decreases blood pressure. And the way muscle mass decreases blood pressure is there are capillaries that go from, so the arteries and veins, arteries carry high high pressure blood, veins carry low pressure blood, and the arteries and the veins have connections to each other. And so there's a condition called systolic hypertension where the when you take a blood pressure, there's a number on top and the number below, like a 120 on 70 or 120 on 80. That number on top can be high in some people but you can bring that number down very well if you increase the connections between the high pressure and low pressure system. And you can increase those connections simply by building muscles because those connections exist within muscle. So you can actually increase the bulk of muscle to create vascular channels to reduce blood pressure. That's the first thing you can do. The second thing that you can do is muscle also has a storage function a lot like the liver. So the way it works in diabetes is that when you have a surge of sugar that goes up, the body is unable to sequester or push that sugar into the liver um, because the liver is supposed to sort of absorb that sugar and um, do stuff with it. But muscle will do the same thing as well. So if you have a large mass of muscle that's available like a sponge, you can actually push the sugar into that muscle in the form of storage in energy for that muscle. And that prevents that sort of spike of sugar that you have. The other thing that's really good is that when you stress bones by pulling on them with muscle, the bone actually responds, so the bone actually gets stronger. So we know that aerobic exercise actually decreases the incidence of osteoporosis. So the answer is you would want to maintain your muscle health uh, or you want to maintain your muscle bulk as part of a general um, health program. You'd also want to maintain it for practical purposes because I did, an, I did a procedure this morning for a lady who had knee pain and her quadriceps muscles were exceptionally poor, not just poor, but exceptionally poor. 
so poor in fact that you know if she sat down in the chair she was just barely able to lift that leg up by herself and my point to her was well think about it your muscle is so weak that it can't support the weight of your leg but yet you expect the muscle to support the weight of your body hmm. so well when your muscle can't give that sort of shock absorbing function and support the weight of your body then basically you have damage to the joint you know so muscles muscles are useful in terms of for the lower limb they're useful in a shock absorbing function because that's really a lot of the function that they produce providing the lower limb when cadence is basically when you walk you're basically in a controlled free fall and so when your lower limb lands on the ground that force has to be absorbed somewhere and the force is either absorbed and dissipated uh, through a muscle or it's absorbed and dissipated through structures which weren't designed to absorb and dissipate it. and then you get injury to those structures mm. so we know that for knee osteoarthritis if you double the bulk of your quadriceps you have your pain mm. you know which is which is which is a, a relatively simple thing to do so what kind of exercise you mentioned aerobic but is it all exercises that will be useful Okay, so the the challenge with exercise in the body is that the body is very tricky. The skeletal system is very tricky in terms of efficiency. So when you start, if, if you so people will say to me, I go for my evening walk. Is that enough? Uh, my morning walk, you know, I walk Mount Kiara, Tamanton, um, you know, any of the sort of lovely parks that we have. The answer is, if you follow the same routine every time, then no. because the skeletal system is exceptionally adapted at creating efficiency and whatever gains you have in the first two weeks are purely efficient. so if you start a new exercise and you say well i'm getting better at this and you've gotten better two weeks um that's basically an efficiency gain so what happens is the the correct prescription for exercise is basically to vary the intensity of what you do so if you walk a particular route i would say time the sort of The, the the time it takes you to walk different segments of the route and try to do different segments at different timings on different days so what that does is it doesn't allow your skeletal system to become efficient it's actually stressed and that stress causes it to adapt and that adaptation is to build the size of the muscle so that would be the first thing the second thing would actually be to look at how much intensity you're putting into that particular exercise so what you want is you want some sub maximal threshold so you find out a particular exercise that you can do you work out what the sort of um limit of your force is and you work at a threshold just below that limit okay and but you get your technique correct so a lot of a lot of the challenge i sort of see with people doing the exercises in the taman on the equipment that's provided there is the technique's completely wrong So when when you have wrong technique what happens is you a you're inefficient that means that whatever exercise you're doing doesn't really give you the full benefit of the effort that you're putting in um and b that you get a risk of injury and you know I see this when patients come in to the clinic and you know they'll complain of I, this I mean this lady came in and she's complaining about this pain um at the back of her neck on her shoulder and she's sort of showing me how she vigorously and wildly swings her arms for 45 minutes while she's walking in the taman and i'm thinking about it and i'm thinking well you know 
in any circumstance, if you made that movement aggressively for 45 minutes, you would injure that part. So the fact that you're jalaning in the taman while you're exercising, I know there's no such word as jalaning, and you just for somebody picks me up on that, um, you're going to injure the part, right? So I think the it's difficult to sort of give a universal exercise prescription because every person will have sort of slightly different requirements. So the idea there would be maybe see a healthcare professional, you know, physiotherapist, um, just for some advice and say, hey, look, you know, I want to start up some exercise. Uh, you know, can you look at my technique? Can you give me an exercise prescription? Mm. So let them look at you and say, well, look, you know, these are the, based on my assessment, these are the ranges which are possible in you. This is easy. This That is hard. Um, you know, I suggest you do this, that or the other. And then they can just follow up and make sure that you're on the right track. Just a quick question before we wrap up. Um, can you actually describe if there's a feeling that would tell us that our skeletal system is being stressed and not just being efficient and taking us through the motions? Is it a soreness? Is that a burn in the muscles? Anything like that? Uh, it's it's the concentration and effort required to make the action. So if it's too easy, you know, you can be doing three things, talking to somebody, be on your phone, um, and do a crossword puzzle and do that activity at the same time, then it's too easy. Mm. The, the threshold requires a little bit of concentration and a little bit of effort because you have to think about where your parts are, how hard you're moving those parts, how hard you're pushing those parts. Um, and so I think that would probably be my marker. It's not that does it hurt the day after, you know, all the, the sort of the, 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 I would say common myths, you know, push it till it hurts the day after, yeah. you know, uh, no pain, no gain, not, n- none of that stuff. If it is, if you, if you can focus hard enough and you understand what you're doing and you understand how the parts are moving and you're keeping those parts moving in that way, then probably any final message, Dr. Rajesh? If you don't use it, you lose it. That's right. Motion is the lotion. <laughs> I, I, I thought we'd do something different today. Absolutely. Um, I learned so much today, and this is definitely a podcast you want to listen to again. Uh, and meanwhile, I've been speaking to consultant orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Rajesh Singh. This has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.